Baseball Italian style brings together the memories of major leaguers of Italian heritage whose collective careers span nine decades, from the 1930s to the present. In these first-person accounts, baseball fans will meet the players they cheered as heroes or jeered as adversaries, as well as coaches, managers, front office executives, and umpires on an intimate level. Join author Lawrence Baldessaro and some of the pillars of our national pastime in these historic and never-before-heard interviews. Baseball Italian style starts now. Tell me again a little bit about your family background, uh, who came from Italy and when? From my grandparents on my mother's side and my father's side came from Italy. I think her father came over first, made, I'm not sure how many years he was here before he sent for the family, early and met here. Uh, outside of Palermo, I mean it's like a province out there. Four grandparents came from Italy. Right. From Sicily. Oh, he wants it. The original family name was Baudo. Baudo. Right. B-A-U-D-O. Yeah, they either left the U out by mistake when they came to Ellis Island, or just... It wasn't a choice by your family, it was somebody else. Maybe. Yeah, it was a mistake, I think, just the way they yeah, wrote it out. Right. But, and did they settle in, in near Cleveland? Um, <clears throat> my mother's... Uh, so I went to Pennsylvania first, then to Cleveland. My mother was born, I think, in Pennsylvania, but as an infant came over to Cleveland. Um, I think my mother's father was a barber. Yes. Father, he was a, a contractor. So I didn't know what they were talking I, I, I didn't pay attention. I wish, I, now that I'm, you know, 64, I wish I would have learned it when they were speaking, just like me. My grandmother would speak Italian to me and I'd, I'd answer in English. Yeah. You decided you wanted to be a ball player. Did they support that at all? Oh, they were very, I mean, I played all the sports in high school and, and uh, they were, I've been out of, actually I've been out of, I was out of Ohio one time for a tournament in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and then I went all the way across me because when you come across four kids in between my sister and I. And then two hours, I know all the stats and stuff. Um, won three straight World Series. I, I think the first, winning the first World Series is always the biggest oh. season. So you're excited when you get there. But then it's more games. And then you deal with the media. And, and it starts to really weigh on you because it's just not playing a ball game anymore. Um, and you got football going on at the time, you know. So um, you really got to keep your focus. And I think when you win, the first thing you feel is relief. It's over. Recognize what you've accomplished. Is are you getting ready for next season? Right. Those are amazing. We asked you this before, Kelly, um, as you were growing up. Italian ball players in the major. You know, my dad always would talk about Joe DiMaggio. And, and grew up. I would. There were a lot of Italians in the small community, the blue collar community that came up with me. Said so he wanted. Uh, no, I think he was a Cleveland Indians fan. Okay. But uh, one of my fondest memories was in 1954. Uh, he took it near the right field foul line. I remember Yogi Berra hitting the pole with a uh to tie the game up for the Yankees. But the uh, game always something a little special with the same bloodline, you know, um, being a teammate or a guy on the other club. 
stuff like that where there's a connection. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'd have to be married to Italian and I'll let you name your kid Salvatore Santino and Stefano. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she came down on vacation with her friend, her girlfriend. You know, I, had, I played a couple months in the big leagues, and then it was really right before I made it into big leagues. You know, so uh, in that era, I mean, Roberto Clemente and Cepeda and those guys all played down there. They helped spring me to the major leagues because they gave me the confidence. Because my mother would always ask me, I don't know why. I just never, they hadn't met the right one. So now I meet my wife to be down in Puerto Rico. Come up and I've said, Ma, you'll never guess. She goes, What? I said, I met an Italian girl and I'm in love. She doesn't say it. I mean, she goes, what part of Italy is her family from? <laughs> so that was, I couldn't believe that. But yeah. And was she Sicilian? No, she was from, uh, her, her family's from the Sorrento and Naples. Or I don't know, I just was so stunned. That. That's typical. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit then about managerial experience. I really did. Um, after I retired as a player, we had to start. So I was doing that, and Bud asked me to stay in the organization, kind of a assistant to Harry Dahl, right. kind of a lead. And I they're looking to, I was, offer, I, I was offered the opportunity twice to manage. Really? Yeah. And uh, uh, he, when uh, Prince Walbang as it could have been so. I think Harvey turned out to be the right guy for the at that time, you know. They just needed a personality like that. Everything works out for a reason. How was that experience once you did accept the The toughest eight years I've ever spent. That's when it really became small market. We're trying to compete when he's trying to get a stadium and afford to do that because you can't afford to get your ears beat beaten and, and get a new stadium, you know. Uh -huh. So, you know, we did the best we could with trying to stay competitive enough so we can get a stadium. Right. So, uh, I mean, yeah. so it, it just was very difficult time. Were there any other Italian GMs at the time, do you recall? Colangelo was the owner. Uh, they were an expansion team when uh, yeah. Lucchino was with Baltimore. When, when I was a general. I don't think there were any general managers that I can read. Oh, I got fairly close to Junior. Uh, uh, you did? Because he would come in to see Bud, and Bud would always either have me pick him up or bring him to the airport. or You know, so he and I had those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And in, what, what I thought was interesting, we would... Um, you know, I would confide in him, you know, things that I knew, you know, such as, you know, got some owner. I don't know if you know Archbishop Dolan, not personally. But he's that type of just excitement when you talk to him and, and just lights up a room. And Giamatti was just down to earth, but yet he could be at that other level. I mean, he just was a great guy. Yeah, no, he was outstanding. I was sad because of such a short period. And, I know. I wanted to talk to you too about some of the people you knew and the first coach for two years. Two years, our hitting coach. Yeah. So well, he was actually the hitting coach. Right. Well, right. Uh -huh. It wasn't just a, a name job. Well, 
you know, the hitting coach in those days is not like the hitting coaches today mm. with video. Mm. I mean, it were somebody that knew a little bit about hitting. You know, it, they just didn't have the, the specialty that they have today. Right? And, oh, no, no. But I, I'll tell you what, I have never, in, in those days, we didn't have charter planes. I'm saying everybody would stop. Uh, he took me under his wing somewhat. Uh, but he was a quiet man, a reserve man, so he wasn't always outgoing. So that you can get to know Jody, because he was Catholic, you know, and then those sort of dark moves, what was it? Still flying. Ate a lot of sunflower seeds. Um, he, you know, sat there on the bench, you know, didn't try to manage or anything. I'm sure. In his own mind, he's probably wondering, as great as he watching all these young guys, you know, how far we had to go. Yeah. Why do you think he did that? Why did he take Well, that? I know he got paid at that time a lot of money, 100000 to be a coach. Right. To make a statement in the Bay Area. Uh, I'm a vice president. I guess he was any coach, but he was a vice president. He gave him $100,000. Did that for two years. It's a lot of money in 1968, 69. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's you know, it was right on, really. From my experience, it was right on. In terms of him being, he talks about the supposed time. I don't, I didn't know anything about that. But I mean, as far as Joe as a personality, I also because of my having uh, played a tournament called American Airlines, I was always there, and Otto Graham was his partner. And so. Um, because we knew each other, we always would converse or, you know, so I, I got to know him better than most because there was a common thread that we were both with the A's at that time and options that because they invited the executive and never met the total office. I mean, you heard about him as a kid from your dad and all right. so when you met him, was it sort of... I mean, and then after a while, you realize just like anyone else, you know, were you a little disappointed that he turned out to be... Well, you know, I thought he could have been a little bit more helpful. Mm -hmm. Everybody, not just me, mm -hmm. but, you know. Then I understand, you know, at, once you get into it, you can see what New York was like, the rise the way he was. He, he was a private person. Yeah. Now, one of your teammates has told me he's, Ita he's Italian. Never he is. His, his mother must be part Italian. He claims it was his father's. I never did. He claims that his great, either great or great-great-grandfather, I forget what he said, he thought the family name had been, but it was changed. He said, first, you're vague about all of it. Well, it could be, because he grew up in uh, Steubenville, Ohio, and that had a lot of Italians. Ah. He went to California, but yeah. I mean, he was born in Steubenville. I used to tease him, Steubenville. I spoke about being in No. It never uh, came up. My roommate, Gene Tennis, was. Too. Oh, not sure. Yes. Yeah. The other guy wanted yeah. to ask about Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, no, really, yeah. He never really never brought it up, yeah. even with you. Well, he did once in a while, but I, I don't think I ever paid attention because Raleigh was so goofy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. I guess on the one hand, why would he make it up? Yeah, I don't. He wouldn't make not, it up. But I, nobody's ever acknowledged him. Yeah. As, I mean, I don't. I don't think he's in the Hall of Fame in Chicago. He so might he, not even know. I don't know if the stands alive. Well, Fiore Tenacci. Well, um, well, we roomed together for parents because they come up when we play in Cleveland. They come up from uh, uh, just 
out together. And I just called him this morning. Oh, yeah? I left a message because I'm trying, I'm trying to get a hold of him. Uh, sure. I, you know, I'll give you a cell number. Okay. Just call him Gino or what? Yeah, Gino. Uh, and uh, Hanachi was his real name. That's Phil Rizzuto's actual name as well. His name, even though in the book, very Italian. No, I don't think so. Um, I think he became more Italian because we roomed together. Mm. I think in Southern Ohio was a little bit different. Ports around Portsmouth area, many Italians. Right. Very good uncle. Yeah. His parents and his brother. Uh, oh, yeah. there, there, there's it kind of brings you uh, Rico Petroselli played against Rico uh, real quiet guy but you know a good guy uh, they were good guys you know I talked to Rico at length in, uh, at the Ted Williams Museum it was a very interesting connection yeah. yeah very good what about Billy Conigliar what do you remember him as, as a ball player he had a lot of talent I think he just um was living in the shadow of his brother no matter what he did and then the track and they were a close-knit family and then the beanie a lot of a lot of heartache there in that family you know uh, before when he was still because I was called up in um, 66 well I, he was still with the Red Sox when I had some good years but he quite wasn't the singer because of that beanie we had one good Billy he was a piece of work uh, he always called me Dave one of the ways I got to know Billy is because I would take the lineup cards out as a captain uh -huh. and exchange with him. And, and my favorite story with Billy Martin is we got in a big fight with Detroit. Um, most fights, you pull guys apart and you're pushing and shoving. Anyhow, the next day, Sunday, we come out to exchange lineup cards. And on a lineup card, it has extra men. And I look at his, his lineup card on the extra man. He's got Rocky Marciano, Carmen Basilio. He's got all these fighters written down there. <laughs> I laughed. He had a good laugh. Did know. he give it to the umpire? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you exchange, yeah, and then they yeah. give you a copy. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. What else do you remember about him? Uh, well, he was fiery. Uh, you know, he had, uh, Billy was, he liked to intimidate you if he could. But, uh, manager, I think, I think he took away from his reputation as a good manager by the crazy things he did. Remember the first major league game that you saw? Uh, that I remember was a doubleheader against the Yankees in 1954 in Cleveland. And the Indians won a doubleheader, and they went on to win the pennant that year and lose to the Giants in the World Series. Uh, but one thing I do remember, we sat down near the right field foul pole, and Yogi Berra hit a home run in the ninth inning to send it to extra innings that the Indians ended up winning. Uh -huh. uh, but that, I remember that game, and then I, as a kid, as I got older, I got to, you know, I take the rapid transit down to the downtown and, and go to games. It was the old, uh, huge, oh, huge Cleveland stadium. Municipal Stadium. Yeah. Often empty, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
I think when um, I was a senior in high school and I, I had to choose between football and baseball and um, I thought baseball long term was a better avenue for me and I hoped I was good enough to play and when I had the scholarship to go to Arizona State that just confirmed that I had a chance and then being able to compete out there against kids from California been playing the game all year and doing well um, it really got my attention that I had a chance to, to play professional ball well you didn't just compete I mean you sort of led them to the World Series College World Series title didn't you in your second year you saw me. yeah my, no, my junior year well, we won the College World Series and I was uh, named most valuable player of the tournament and then the year before we went as a sophomore but we um, had a couple injuries and we got knocked out early so you didn't play as a freshman Freshmen weren't allowed to yeah, play in those days. Right. Yeah, right. You uh, discuss your time as captain of the uh, A's? Well, I was named by Hank Bauer in uh, 1969, which would have been my second full year. I had been up and down in 67 and 66 a little bit. But um, I said to Hank, I, you know, are, are you sure? you want me to do this? He said, well, you don't want it? I said, I didn't say that. I said, are you sure? I'm only, you know, my second full year. He says, well, you've been doing the job without the title, so we give you the title. And so I was very appreciative, and so I was captain there, and then when I went to Milwaukee, they, they named me captain. So uh, it was a nice honor, but I never looked at it as anything got held over the player's head. I was just like they were. You know, my job was to communicate with them. I patted them on the back like I would want to be patted on the back when I'm struggling, uh, but never lording it over anybody. There were some pretty strong personalities on Reggie Jackson and Fingers. They were, but they were friends, and, they, and, and I think I handled it well enough where there was no animosity or uh, jealousy about it, and um, it worked out, and, and I had different managers who continued to name me captain, so, you know, I, I think that um, I didn't embarrass the position. Can you talk? Well, no, I'm good. Go ahead. Mustache thing started. Well, Reggie had a beard, and in those days it was an unwritten rule, you know, about facial hair. And Finley didn't want to tell Reggie to shave it, so he paid us all three hundred dollars to grow mustaches, and it just caught on, and it became a simple, and it turned out to be, uh, you know. An embarrassment for for the team that Reggie had a beer turned out to be a uh, kind of a our, our identity. So Finley didn't want to do anything to upset Jackson. Is that the idea? Because well, he didn't want to have to call him and tell him to shave. So if we all had it, then maybe he would shave it because he didn't stand out. And it turned out we all loved it, so it worked out. <laughs> earlier that one of your duties as captain was to take out the scorecard. Did you do that the whole time? The lineup card, yes. Lineup. Most of the time I did, yeah. What else? I mean, you said you communicated. Well, you know, I, I, 
I was because of my position at third base, I was close to the pitcher, so I remind them of our, how we're pitching guys. Um, try to encourage them if they were struggling, um, you know. And then and then what it did, it gave managers and even the owner one person to go to 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 pass on information and not having to go to all the different players at different times. So I was also a vehicle for management uh, to communicate with what was going on. What do you think Bauer saw that, I mean, you were all in your second full year, you were still quite young. What do you think he saw that convinced him? Well, I think he saw my desire to win. And at all costs, I was willing to pay the price to win. And where I think sometimes you get players who are just happy to be there and putting in their time. And so uh, I was honored that he that he saw that in me and, and I think that was a big reason my drive to win someone like Reggie who had that temperament uh, no problem with him no well Reggie and I we both went to Arizona State and he was a freshman when I was a junior so um, we were friends and, and and look at Reggie was a key to our ball club so it, it was I wasn't taking anything away from him. Uh, we all had a, a different job, and um, if we did our job right, we would win, and, and we did. The image is that even though you guys won those three World Series in a row, there's always tumultuous atmosphere, even among the players, not just with the owner. Is that right? Well, I think it was mostly players against the owner, and we did have some disagreement, but because, you know, when you get a, a handle that you guys are unhappy or you're fighting, everything gets blown out of proportion. And I've been, you know, when I went to Milwaukee, there were disagreements, but it never got written about because it was no big deal. But in Oakland, that seemed to be the focus. And, and we only had really one writer that traveled with us. And so, uh, you know, he was in hog heaven getting all this information. But, yeah, we had disagreements, and it always seemed to happen. There. Like one time, Raleigh and Blue Moon Odom getting a fight right before the World Series starts. You know, so that makes headlines. So we always had different episodes, but no different than any other. Well, what about the relations with the owner? Yeah, well, that was, you know, we had an owner who, at the very beginning, was very comforting. But as we got successful, he became more difficult. And and really, there was a lot of uh, friction be between front office and the players. And quite honestly, it really brought us together as players because we had one common enemy. What, what made him difficult? I think he just wanted things his way, and he wasn't going to uh, give in to anyone. Um, we always complained about not flying charter. We were always flying commercial. When you're out in Oakland, I mean, that's tough. To, it's a tough way to travel. And when you have a you know night game, then you got to follow night game somewhere on the road. Um, so that was a complaint. Uh, he was very cheap. When we found out what other players were making that were comparable or, or in the same position, that they were paid much more. That arbitration brought upon more disagreements with ownership. So. Uh, 
it was always issues. Most of, most of the time, they were non-baseball. They were just part of living. Or just very hands-on, wasn't he? Kind of meddlesome. Meddlesome, hands-on from Chicago. Wasn't never in Oakland. So it was always by phone. Really? Yeah. Uh, we had a situation one time where Reggie had blasted Finley uh, in the paper about flying commercial. So it's a Sunday and I'm on the field to take batting practice and one of his errand boys comes out to get me and Mr. Finley wants to talk to you on the phone. So I go up to his office and he put, put him on the phone and he says, Mr. Bando, uh, I read Mr. Jackson's comments. He said, uh, would you tell Mr. Jackson and the team that uh, I can't afford charter planes? So I said to Mr. Finley, I'll tell him whatever you want, but we know you can afford charter planes. There's a long pause. He goes, thank you, Mr. Bando, and hangs up. <laughs> I mean, so it's stuff like that. But then you had your own specific issue with him over contract. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was always there was always something. I mean, he never wanted to pay you, and he, at that time, he had all the leverage. When he lost that leverage, that's when it became even more difficult. When did he lose the leverage? When arbitration came into being, and you got to see across the board what people were making. Didn't you guys come close to striking at one time? Right. We uh, would have been the only strike by one team in baseball. And uh, that was in 1976. We were chasing the Kansas City Royals. Um, and Finley had sold Vita to the Yankees, Joe Rudy and Raleigh to Boston. And the commissioner disallowed the, the sale sent, sent the players back to Oakland and Finley would not play them because he was going to file a lawsuit against the commissioner's office and so we needed those guys to compete and so we had a meeting and uh, held the meeting and it was unanimous that we said let's go out on strike we gave, this was a Friday I called Finley after the game Friday night told him that if they weren't in the lineup Sunday we were going out on strike I cleared it with Marvin Miller who was our head of the player association who really didn't want us to do it but said let's talk Sunday morning after telling uh, Finley what our plans were after the game Friday, after he called me every name in the book, <laughs> he went on radio and blasted us. We played Saturday's game and lost. We are playing the Twins, I think. And then um, talked to Marvin Sunday morning. He asked us to have another meeting to see what the, how, and tell him how he felt. We had the meeting. And I won't use the language that the player said, but it was, screw him. And so I called Marvin. I said, we're going out. And after batting practice, uh, after infield practice, it's about quarter to one, one o'clock game. We start taking our uniforms off. Chuck Tanner's on the phone communicating with Finley. And Chuck wants us to strike because he wants those players to play. And all of a sudden he comes running in with the lineup, posts the lineup, and Rudy's in the lineup. And that ended the, the threat of the strike. But the fact was, we had writers from all over the world, not the United States world, 
because this would have been the first time. And uh, a sidebar to that was we got out there a little late, and Gene Mock was going to protest the game because we came out late. But he forgot to put the DH in this, on his lineup card, so he couldn't protest it. And so we played the game. And uh, we got those, and we ended up losing uh, the pennant by two games, and we didn't have those guys for about a week. And plus the time to get get back into baseball shape. So we could have, I think, we could have won our division again that year. So you won three consecutive World Series. Is there even apart from that? Is there any one memory that stands out in terms of, as you as a player? Well, always the first one, I think, when you win because you've never experienced it. And, and to beat Cincinnati without Reggie and without Daryl Knowles, our, our number one left-handed reliever, um, I think speaks volumes for the type of talent we had. We beat Cincinnati in seven games. Uh, six of the games were one-run games, so they were all tense games. And I think that is a mem- memorable feeling for me because of the first one. Yeah. What about um, uh, you room with Gene Tennis, right? Right. Talk a little bit about your connection with other Italian-American ball players like Tennis. Well, Gino and I just kind of hit it off, and it was in the era where you didn't have rooms by yourself. You know? So we roomed together and was for most of our time in Oakland. So I was there 10 years. I'll bet eight of them, Gina and I were roommates. Um, and uh, we were just good friends. And, and then I think, um, I'm trying to think who else. Our Billy Canegliero was on our team at one time. And, you know, that, that became, we became close with him. Um, we had some guys, I can't remember right now, whose mothers were Italian, um, but they didn't have... Everybody thought Joe Rudy was Italian, but he wasn't. Uh, uh, and nobody thought Gene Tennis. You're right. They, they didn't realize it was Tanachi. Yeah. yeah, so... Uh, uh, but over the years, as you play against guys that are Italian, there's that that common bond a little bit. Rico Petroselli and I would always talk. Um, so... Do you think the bond with tennis was because you were both Italian? We're both from Ohio. Uh, uh, both Italian. Gino was um, soft-spoken, kind of new to the major leagues. So I kind of took him under my wing. And, uh, and and then we just, you know, just grew real close. And uh, we lived near each other. Um, in fact, Joe Rudy and um, Raleigh and Gino and I lived in the same area together, we so we carpooled to the ballpark every night. So, okay. so it really is a it was a close team. Yeah. Well, Joe D was a hitting coach for a couple of years. Right. Did he help you as a hitter at all? Well, you, you know the problem with Joe was he was such a natural as a hitter that he didn't have to think about it and, and break it down. It just came natural. So uh, what people do today, looking at films and, and breaking down pitches and that, no, we didn't have that. Um, 
So Joe was mostly a theory guy, you know, you know, look for this or you're not comfortable back off the plate, but not in the mechanics of hitting. Um, but his presence was uh, unbelievable. I mean, the um, aura that he had with visiting players and media and coaches, and you know, they held him up as a god, and um, we got to know him as a just a coach. So it was a great experience. Was he as quiet as his reputation? Very quiet. Um, loved to eat sunflower seeds. And I'm a, I have a, to me, I thought it was a cute story. We uh, were going into Cleveland for the first time, and my dad was really excited about meeting DiMaggio because he'd come with me to the ballpark earlier. And I told him, I said, Dad, don't go up to Joe because if you go up to him, he won't give you the time of day. But if you sit there and just kind of sit in the dugout during batting practice, he might come up and sit next to you and start talking. Well, sure enough, my dad's in the dugout. Joe's eating sunflower seeds on the other end of the dugout. And the writers go to bother Joe, and he doesn't want to talk to him. So he gets up and goes and sits next to my dad and starts talking. And my dad was in hog heaven to whole batting practice to talk to Joe. So that, that was... That was he did talk. He did talk when he wanted to talk. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Joe, again, in that era, you didn't have hitting coaches that broke it down. He was there as a hitting coach, but he was there because he was Joe DiMaggio. Didn't he have a more than just batting coach title? Well, he was vice president of something or other, but, it, it, uh, you know, he lived in San Francisco, and uh, uh, our pitching coach lived in San Francisco, and they, they would drive back and forth to get Bill Fosdell. In fact, Phil would say there were some days Joe never said a word to him. You know, and Joe was like that, so. Did he travel with the team? Oh, yeah, he traveled. Yeah, he was okay. full-time. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine, I mean, just having Joe DiMaggio on the bench or on yeah. the field and yeah. the opposing players and coaches interact with him. Because well, the opposing coaches, coaches, you know, uh, either played against them or knew sure. him, and he would chat with them a little bit. The writers would always swarm around him in, in different ballparks. You know. Did you get to know any of the uh, San Francisco area ballplayers from an earlier era? Uh, were they all? I'm thinking of guys like Cookie Lavagetto. I got to meet those guys at different uh, outings or functions, but didn't really interact with them because the Giants were still the big team in the Bay Area, having been there before we got there. Um, but I got to meet Cookie Lavagetto and different guys like that. Because most of the important early ballplayers, Italians, were from San Francisco, right? You know, Vizzeri, DiMaggio, Crusetti. Crusetti. Uh, I knew Frank when as a coach when I played third base. And he coached the Yankees. So, what was he like? Oh, he was a he talked all the time. I mean, he was just nonstop, you know. So he, he was a good guy, but nonstop talker. Heckling or uh, no, no, just 
chatter, just talking. Always wanted to talk. So you're playing third. Uh, yeah, in between, in between innings, and whenever there's a lull, you know. It's interesting because his reputation with the media was that he didn't talk very much. Right. Well, I thought he'd feel comfortable. He's a chatter guy on the ball, on the yeah. ball field as yeah. a shortstop. Yeah. 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 He said he was very Bernie Lombardi, yeah. uh, first Italian to win an MVP. Just a whole bunch of them from San Francisco. Right. Dom, as well as Joe and Vince. Billy Martin was it? Well, he was oh yeah, Billy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Billy Martin. Yeah. Uh, Billy Martin was a guy who wore his Italian on his sleeve like Tommy Lasorda. Right. Yeah. The funny thing I I had because I took the lineup cards out with Martin. We got in a fight with Detroit like on a Friday night. So Saturday now we br I bring out the lineup card and under extra men. He's got Carmen Basilio, Rocky Marciano. He's got all these Italian fighters. It was funny. So. And he always called me Danks. That, that was his nickname. Hey, Danks. A lot of other people yeah. have said that about him. Great baseball player. Oh, he knew, yeah. Yeah, but self-destructive. Yeah, exactly. But what, if you look back, what does or what did baseball mean to you overall in your life? Well, I think it um, obviously is a, is a way of life. I mean, it was provided for our family. But I was able to do something that my dad never was able to do, and that is do something as a living that you like. You know, my father worked because he had a work. He was a construction. He was, yes, yeah, subcontractor. Or, um, but, you know, that was his trade. But, it, you know, what? it was a way to make a living. Whereas I was making a living doing something I love. And I think, uh, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful for my parents giving me the opportunity to do that and, and be supportive. Well, they were supportive because a lot of parents of Italians, especially previously, were told me that they couldn't imagine you'd make a living. Right. right. But your folks were supportive, very supportive. Yeah. But you, I mean, you played, you were like an all-star quarterback in high school, right? Right, right. And my, my opportunities for college were football until this opportunity at Arizona State came through. And, and uh, so I was very fortunate there that I was able to never left Ohio until I went to college. And my father didn't have a college education. My mother didn't finish high school. So, uh, and I had a younger brother and sister. So this, this was like, you know, a lot of... A lot of tears, a lot of sadness. I'm going to Arizona, you know. So that, that, but then my parents drove out and stayed a month in my freshman year, and then they came out, stayed a couple months the next year because my dad couldn't work in the winter. So he found some work out in Arizona for a while, and so we stayed close that way. Not, if I recall correctly when I spoke to you, did you say that your grandfather was Yeah, my my uh, mother's, I think it was my mother's father was her mother. Okay. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm really not sure. He was my mother's father. No, excuse me. My father's father was the bootlegger. Yeah. yeah. Your mom was Italian. Right? Yeah, mom was 100% Italian. Yeah. What was her uh, maiden name? Francisco. Yeah. 